The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. Join me, joined with me this time. It is Tom Fitzmorris. Tom, how you doing this evening? I'm doing good. So go ahead and start off with the obvious. What we always start off with. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. Sure, I'm calling from Scandia, Minnesota, and I run a Weimariner. Another Weimariner. It seems like we were having a few of those on the podcast here lately. Now, in all transparency, you're the one that recommended Camille come on and, and talk to us. I'm assuming, did you get your Weimariner from Camille? I did. Yep, right. I did. So what, what made you go with the Weimariner? You know, it really was where in the past we had outside dogs. My wife and I kind of had outside dogs, so... My first dog actually back in the uh, early 80s was an English setter. That was my very first dog. I was a young man and I was avid grouse hunter and I picked up a English setter, which in all honesty was probably a little too much dog for me for my first dog. His grandfather um, was Jet Train. Jet Train was a uh, Grand National Grouse Champion and was actually in the uh, gun dog hall of fame and everything else i got him from um a breeder that was in minnesota but his um his brother had jet train out of uh burnt creek kennels in the dakotas and jim marty was his name and jim's passed and his brother's probably passed since then too (laughs) sorry to say but um that's kind of how old i am (laughs) (laughs) But um, anyhow, so that was my first dog, and um, but our dogs were kind of outside dogs, and then we decided to get an inside dog. So we kind of looked at different breeds. We looked at Vishlas, uh, we looked at short hairs, uh, English pointers, and kind of landed on the wine, and that's kind of what we landed on with 
just looks and I read articles in like Gundog magazine about the gray ghost. And I was kind of a drawn to that. So. Gotcha. So did you get, did you get to see any of them? Like before you made the decision, did you get to see that, Hey, this dog is kind of lined up with what I prefer as a companion dog inside the house. Anything like that? Yeah, actually our, our first, this is my second wine. Our first wine, um, I got from a different breeder. And that had a little more, like they called it kind of the dual wimes. And this was in the early 2000s. And for whatever reason, it seemed like everybody was breeding wimes then. So it was like flooded with breeders and everything else. I thought I did my homework pretty good on that. But in hindsight, I probably didn't vet it out well enough. Um, you know, he, he was a good dog, but uh, he didn't have a real strong point to him. Okay. Um, like I was used to with my setter, of course. And, um, uh, had a natural retrieve to him, but just not a strong point and, uh, didn't like water. Kind of my setter didn't either. Honestly, my setter didn't like water. So like if I dropped a grouse across the Creek, <laughs> I'm walking to find a log to cross the Creek. To get so that, they really didn't <laughs> like water then. <laughs> they really didn't like water. <laughs> My current dog, he likes water. <laughs> so Sage, Sage likes water. You got sick of walking around that creek, and so you went and got uh, you a dog that likes water. I did, yeah. You know, and fortunately, like, you know, I got into pheasant hunting as well, more with Sage than I did the other previous dogs. But uh, fortunately, I never dropped a pheasant out in a pond or anything like that where I'm swimming, you know, because yeah. I'm not going to leave a bird behind. So. <laughs> so- <laughs> So, uh, you just mentioned grouse and pheasant, you know, are those your, your primary targets or do you kind of mix in other species as well? Those are my primary, you know, I, I, uh, I got into grouse hunting, um, kind of where my parents had a cabin up in kind of central Minnesota, East central Minnesota. And I was a woods kid and just, I was in the woods and as at a young age, you know, and then as a young teenager, um, there's this bird that just intrigued me that would thunder off every once in a while when I'm walking tote roads, you know, and, and then, uh, from there, it kind of was one of those things where it was funny during different seasons, I'd hear what sounded to me like this old tractor starting up in the woods, you know, where it's like a single cylinder old tractor, kind of that thump, 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 you know, and one day somebody's like, well, that's a rough grouse drumming. You know, it's like, now this bird's really got me intrigued. So I just <laughs> grew to love this bird and studied it. And as soon as uh, I was of age to be able to purchase my own small game license and hunt, that's what I did. I took it up. So I hunted solo for 10 years and uh, stalked them basically without a dog. Yeah. And uh, then got a dog when I was in my early twenties and kind of been stuck on that ever since. So, so, so growing up that, that first decade of hunting grouse, did you get any experience hunting with a dog? Did you have a friend or a mentor with a dog or was it really just, I didn't just by yourself yeah, really? It okay. was, it was just by myself busting the brush and I was the dog. But I learned a lot from it. I bet. I, I bet I, that probably sets you up to to set the dog up for success, the dog to eventually come, you probably is like, Hey, I've been doing this without a dog. Now that I have a dog, I wonder, did it get any easier, like hunting success with a dog? Like after you got the dog churched up on it a little bit, did it get easier? Do you think overall, or 
compare the success with or without a dog? You know, in all honesty, I probably killed more grouse without um, singly, um, just myself. But the fun and just the enjoyment of having a dog and watching the dog, um, you know, in all honesty, to me, I get more out of the hunt now. And I, I still do fine, and I'm getting sage into more birds now. Um, whereas my old haunts, when I got sage as a pup, my old haunts had aged out. And so I kind of had to get boots on the ground and, you know, assist with, you know, various maps and virtual scouting and stuff that can kind of get you close, but you still really got to get the boots on the ground to really pick cover out that, you know, is going to hold birds where, and that's one of the other things I learned as, you know, a youngster is I could walk in and like, there's going to be a grouse there, Yeah, you know, cause you just kind of, you just learn it. You can pick it out right away if you've had enough experience in it. And yeah, there's so no there's no replacing boots on the ground. You can look at maps all you want, satellite imagery all you want. It's a good starting point, yeah. especially if you're going out of town. Uh, but the more boots on the ground and just time in the woods for you and your dog, it's just going to make you and your dog a better hunter and a better team overall. Exactly. Yeah, it really is. And that's where now I'm getting to it where... Um, you know, with the assist of that and getting the boots on the ground these last couple of seasons where I'm getting Sage into it. So he's getting them because, you know, let's face it, anybody that's hunted grouse with a dog, I mean, they're a touchy bird. Yeah. They are a, he'll kill it on pheasant, you know, but grouse are a touchy bird. You know, woodcock's a different story, Yeah. but, um, yeah, yeah, so it, give it me, takes a special dog. Give me your theories. Like, I mean, what do you what do you think makes the rough grouse tougher than other birds? I mean, you know, it's like they they run, sure, but you just said that your dog's great on pheasant. Pheasant run a lot too. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, they're in thick cover. Well, so are woodcock. You know, kind of mm -hmm. give me your thoughts as somebody that's been hunting these birds for as long as you have, both solo and with a dog. Why do you think that they're so challenging for dogs? It's almost like they don't have any patience with pressure from a dog or from a person either. Like, And I don't know if it's just me, but I almost feel like I used to stalk them and I used to get pretty close. I mean, I could see them. I'd see them with their rough up and their crest up and they're walking th through the um, brambles and everything. And I'm basically ducking and crawling and everything else, chasing them through it and hoping they don't get out the other side and fly before. But, um, which they're yeah, prone they, to do. <laughs> they just don't take, yeah, exactly. They just don't take pressure. Yeah. I just don't think they taught, they don't tolerate pressure at all. I don't feel from a dog. And so do you think Sage is just getting too close to him, just kind of crowding him a little too much maybe? Yeah, I think he just hasn't been with enough birds to figure that out. Like I say, he's he's been on pheasants a lot more. Yeah. So I just think it takes more birds. And his first couple of years, you know, um, he kind of got cheated out of that because I was doing new grounds and it was taking me a while to find where the real haunts are, where I know it's holding birds and I can get them on birds. Yeah. And then last year I had an abbreviated, um, hunting season due to, due to a health situation. I had an abbreviated hunting season. Oh, so. Okay. Well, glad to hear you see that you're all right, hopefully. And then you, yeah. that you get back to normal hunting season this year. Yeah. Hopefully I want to take advantage of it. You know, I had plans last year and I, I basically only got out for grouse twice and I got out for pheasant twice. So, mm. 
You know, that, like the, that'll make for a long off season waiting for season to come back in. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're just chopping at the bit. Have you had a chance to get out yet this season? I did. I got out. Um, I've been out twice on grouse, and this coming weekend will be pheasant opener. So my daughter and I we're going to head about three hours west of the cities here, and I got some spots picked there as well that I haven't hunted them before. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm I'm pretty confident in what I've picked out. So fantastic. There's well, you know waterfowl production areas basically. So okay, those so do, do tend to hold pheasant. Yeah. Do, do you do any waterfowl? Do you mess around with that at all? Is it pre- pretty much just upland? Recently, I just messed around with it a little bit. Not heavy duty. I'm um, fortunate where I I do live on a small lake, and um, it will get some ducks in and stuff like that. It holds a lot of geese. I'm not you know, per se a goose hunter by any means, but geese will come in, but it's typical. They're gone in the morning they come in in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty (laughs) much how it works. Yeah, it pretty much is. Yeah. So, um, I didn't shoot any last year, but I had Sage out and I was really happy with how he behaved. You know, we'd sit there and he'd sit still and I would only do like an hour and a half hunt in the morning where I'd go out and sit and catch that first light when when they're flying because after that anyhow it's yeah. pretty much man. yeah you said you pretty much sound like the duck hunter that i am too it's like I, i'm an opportunist uh duck hunter like that's what I, it is i tell everybody you know the 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 most fun you'll ever have is like that that once a year duck hunt that that you get with them all swarming it, it's something it you can't really replace it but the amount of hunts that you have to go on in between those hunts make me just want to go walk in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and admittedly today I walk in the woods differently than I did when I was, you know, in my twenties and thirties and stuff. So mm-hmm. today I stick more to the edges and I let Sage get into the thick. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Kind of how it's supposed to be anyway. Uh, yeah. So I want to back up. Um, this is pre-Sage. I want to go back to when you first got your dog. After 10 years, you get get them in your early 20s, it sounded like. What mm-hmm. was the process like back then for you training your dog? How did you get your dog ready to go hunt? Was it a learning curve? Did you use a pro trainer? Kind of walk me through the steps that you went through. Yeah, no, I've never used a pro trainer. I've always trained on my own. Um, it was basically books and magazines. So these books are probably out of print, (laughs) but like, um, um, Delmar Smith. Yeah. Um, I used his book. Um, Jerome Robinson had a book out hunt close. I used his, and then there was, um, the old classic, I think it was called gun dog. And I, sorry, I can't remember the author on that, but like I said, Richard Walters probably was, it was Richard. Yeah. 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 So there is a few books that, um, I used and then as well as magazine articles, um, you know, field and stream sports, of field, um, gun dog magazine. I signed up for gun dog magazine, you know, and, and read articles out of that. So that's kind of what I used is books then. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, what was the biggest learning curve for you on your first first few dogs and figuring it out on your own? And I mean, it's a really, I love talking to guys like yourself that got started pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-podcast, because it's like you guys really had to work 
to get the knowledge and the information. It's not like you could just, you know, search on Google and then you have it at your fingertips and 10 different versions of it. You guys really had to go look and study it and kind of learn as you go. Yeah. You know, for me, it was really probably falling into something that, you know, even today is what you're comfortable with. Like you can take all of that. Um, and, but if you don't feel comfortable with it, like if there's something that you're kind of like, eh, you know, I think it's the learning curve of tweaking things to fit you as a, as a trainer and, and reading your dog. I mean, it just, it takes experience. You know, I've only had, you know, three bird dogs in my life, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be, uh, on Medicare in February. <laughs> so mm. that's all I have, but um, you know, and three dogs isn't a lot, but each dog has taught me something. And I think one of the things is, is just learning to read your dog and how much you can put on him and ask of him too. So yeah, or her. absolutely. So we met at the NAVDA handlers clinic that I attended this past summer. Uh, it's, it's been a few months ago. Uh, yep. How long have you been involved with NAVDA? When, when I got Sage, that was one of the things and Camille doesn't, ask of it anymore but one of the things um i got sage in 2017 and uh he he was june of 2017 when he was whelped and i picked him up in august and one of the things she just asked is you know what i really would like you to do is just run the NAVDA na test and she goes you know i don't ask anything beyond that not asking you to be a life member or anything but um and so that's what I did is what I, 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 uh, got a hold of the local chapter and contacted them, which is the Minnesota chapter, of course, that I belong to and been a part of them ever since. And, um, that's kind of, yeah, how I yeah. got going on that. So you got in, you, you did the NA test and it sounds yep. like you, you've stuck around. So, I mean, you've, you've enjoyed the journey. Have you done anything besides the NA test? Have you done utility testing? Yeah, I've done two utilities and each one kind of has a story of its own. So I ran Sage in 2020 in a utility and uh, he was actually hearing impaired at the time I ran him in the test. And this is really weird. What happened is um, I, in the spring, I, I entered him for the fall test. And in the spring, I was um, doing uh, like a duck search clinic. And Pete was actually, or Pete Apolowski, our, our president. And um, we were at this pond. It's called a dike pond. And it sits a little low, and it's got a hillside on the back side. So it's got a hillside on the opposite side of where we typically launch our dogs from, set our dogs from. And it, it can be a little loud in there. And... Um, it was like the perfect storm. So what happened is I'm left-handed. I'm a left-hand shooter, left eye dominant, left-handed, left-handed gun. And so for whatever reason, but I also trained Sage to heal to my left. And so we were at the shore and I, I ran them the first round and everything was fine. As a matter of fact, Pete was like, uh, that was a great search. He's like, he went to the first island, checked it, went to the second island, went back to the cattails, and he's, he's going like, if you clean up a little bit of the shore puttering around, he says, he's a four on the search. And it's like, cool. 
Nice. So we went through the dogs. We had about half a dozen dogs there, and then it was my turn again. So I took them out of the truck and brought them down. And uh, there's a, a certain brand of shell that um, the club had stopped using for a blank shell because they were inconsistent. Oh. And um, so um, one of the guys handed me the gun, you know, and it's one of the old H&R's 12 gauge, you know. And so I had Sage on my side there and this had one of those shells in it that the club hadn't used for a long time. So it must've been one that was kind of hanging in somebody's vest. Well, this thing went off like a bomb. And at the same time, as the shot went off, he had stepped forward. So his head was basically off my left side under the barrel. Mm. And, you know, and everybody kind of went, holy crap, that was loud, you know? And how I'd send him is I do a little tap on the head and then I do a little send with my hand over his muzzle and he went out, but he went out and he didn't go out very far and started circling and just kind of circling and looking back at us and everything. And I tried to do a resend and he wasn't responding. And Pete was kind of like, I think he's giving you the finger. He <laughs> says, which ain't your dog. You know, he says, your dog doesn't give you the finger. Cause he's really biddable. He's just a super biddable dog. And so they tried doing the canoe and everything else and having a duck out there flapping around. I mean, they tried and it just wouldn't go. So he eventually came back in, you know, and I, I created him up. And when I got home um, from the training, he was on the driveway and he was kind of staring down the driveway and I was calling him to come to the house. He wasn't budging. And I walked up behind him and I tapped him and he kind of did a startle move. And I'm like, Ooh, what's going on here? Yeah. So I, I got him into the house. My wife and I were doing some things with him and it's like, he can't hear. He's like stone deaf. Mm. Like he couldn't hear nothing and brought him to the vet got him into a vet was right during COVID spring of 2020. A lot of vets weren't open and different things. And, uh, they said it could be, it wasn't eardrums. Eardrums are intact, but they said it could be inner ear, like middle ear where there's like five little bones could be that, um, could be neurological, like his brain could have shut off his hearing. Um, and, uh, so anyhow, fall test comes around. He got some of his hearing back, but it wasn't all the way. And the judges were made aware of it and stuff. Um, so I ran the test anyhow. I didn't pull him and I ran the test, the UT test, because I thought it'd be good learning for me. And uh, everything went fairly well with the exception of the obedience areas um, at the healing stakes and down at the um, down at the shore for the steady at the blind. Um, I kind of blew it there. Um, so we, we came away from that with a prize three, but with a hearing impaired dog and everything else, it's like, yeah, eh, okay. And, and first time it's, uh, first time that that's a good lesson. I mean, for listeners though, because those blanks, you know, I, you, I prefer, I train with primers because of that very reason. Some of these blanks, you know, it's like some of them are freaking just cannons and then others, it's just you know, uh, just a, a wimpy little bottle rocket almost. It's like, right. you know, it, it's such a variance from, you know, po uh, blank to blank. And so it's just like, all right, get poppers, 
they're consistent no matter what. It's, it's not going to kill a dog with a percussion or anything. Uh, but then you get to the test and they're going to use real blanks. And it's just like some of them is you can hear freaking five miles down the road. It's just some of them go, they're extremely loud. And then like what you're in in the training environment with the hill behind it and the backdrop and all that stuff, it's kind of, right. it, it's a good it lesson. It holds the sound in. Yeah. And then, you know, what's that similar to? Maybe perhaps some people's duck blinds, you know, when people go in there for the first time and they just start rattling off shells. So is the hearing completely back to normal now or is it still a little off? It's a still a little off. I can tell. And it just depends on wind and like if he's moving away from me or coming towards me. But, you know, I also do signals with him as well. So, you know. Uh, whistle works good with him as well. You know, when I got him on the whistle and stuff, that works well. So he's still a little impaired, but not nearly. I mean, he was totally all out for a while and it gradually came back by test time, but he still was struggling with it, especially out in the field. And you said that you've run twice now. So did you rerun? I did. I did. I reran him in 2021. And so <laughs> there's another story. So I had had some issues with my left eye. Um, I had been diagnosed with dry eye because I had a watery eye all the time. It was just constant water. And then I was getting like inflammation and infections in it. And they said I had a plugged tear sac. And so my regular, you know, ophthalmologist that I see, um, he referred me to a specialist because they couldn't get at it. And, um, he, he worked at it. And so it ended up being a surgery and he went in there the first time and he backed out. He's like, you know, he goes, I don't know what's going on. Well, I'll try and shorten it up. But anyhow, it was a journey over a matter of a couple of years. So, um, three surgeries performed by specialists. And then they're like, they threw their arms up. They're like, we're out, we're sending you to the U. So I went to the university of Minnesota and uh, they had a pretty good idea what was going on with me. So they ran a whole bunch of labs. And as it turned out, I had two autoimmunes. I had what's called IgG4, which is a fairly new one. It's been around for like 10 years. It was diagnosed actually from a Japanese doctor on a pancreas, but I had it in the uh, orbital area of my eye. Mm. And I had vasculitis, which was showing up on my lungs, which people thought I had like emphysema and different things, but it turned out just to be from this autoimmune. So they were treating me for that. I was going through stuff for that at the U and I had a real bad abscess that came back in my eye and they did surgery. Well, then it came up squamous cell carcinoma. So it might've been a red herring. So it's like, okay, it's cancer. It's like, all right. And so the surgery was on October 19th of 2021, I was running SAGE on Labor Day weekend. And then they called me, you know, later on and told me about the biopsy results. And it's like, okay, that's not great, but all right, we'll deal with it. Well, then I had a consultation the day before the test. And so the day before the UT test, I had a consultation and they're like, you're probably going to lose your eye. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm left-handed, left eye dominant. I can't lose this eye because it's my left eye. And, you know, I I think what happened is um, had that consultation. I go um, into the test the next day, and I think I just was not myself. 
and um, I think Sage read that on me. Uh, and picked I up just, on it, yeah. Yep, he picked up on it, and I just wasn't myself. And um, I was timid. I wasn't my normal with the commands and everything. I was timid. And what happened is um, the field started out sketchy, but then we recovered. And then we got to the duck search and he wouldn't really go search. And I'm standing there like a zombie. So um, what I should have did, and it was, you know, I should have kept track of time in my head. And then did like a hard back because I thought maybe in hindsight, I should have did that and did like a hard back and, you know, thrust my hand out like the old karate chop <laughs> and try and snap him out of it. And maybe he would have went then, but I was kind of just there. I wasn't myself and I was kind of in my own head, not in the moment. And all of a sudden I got the shoulder tap handler, oh, leash your dog. And it's like, I'm out. Yeah, you know, I'm done now. It's like, you know, and I knew it, I, I continued through the test and the wheels kind of fell off. Then I pushed them out on the, um, on the uh, healing course. I was looking too far down and I pushed them out on a stake. So I had to bring them in. So there we go on that one. And then at, at the water edge, um, it was like a dike. And the water was on one side and a big ditch on the other side of the dike. And I put them at the water and I should have gave them a hard wall or a hard weight. I didn't give them a hard enough one. And I went over to the other side of the ditch and I look up and there he is looking at me. Yeah. I'm like, uh, so that it was a train wreck. So we didn't prize and I felt bad for the dog. Cause I, I just, it's like, it's not the dog. Yeah. You, know what I you, mean? Just, you so, just weren't there mentally. I just wasn't there mentally. I had other things going on. Yeah, understandably. I'm I'm curious, thinking back on it, you said that you kind of recovered in the field. How was his search in the field? Was he kind of sticking a little closer to you in the field as well? Well, it was funny. He he wasn't, but what happened is he went in on the first bird. So the first chucker, he he went in on it. And then after that, everything was pretty decent. Um, it was kind of funny because we followed up on a Spinoni and so the judges were like, they were kind of joking back and forth and they're like, all right, get your track shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> what we just saw ahead of him is going to be different. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, it was just kind of funny that, well, you know, but, well, I was just being yeah. curious, you know, we talk about uh, a number of times on, on previous episodes, these dogs pick up on your energy. They pick up on your Total. mood. You know, if you're enthusiastic, they're going to be enthusiastic. And so I'm wondering, you know, based on what you're talking about on the duck search, the, the healing, and then, you know, the, by blind and how the dog was always by you. I'm wondering if, if your energy, the dog just didn't want to leave you. And that's why I was asking if in the field, maybe he was kind of sticking a little closer to you. I was just kind of working on a theory in my head is all I was asking about on that. Well, you know, that's a good point. Um, You know, he, he would run out, but he would check in. I mean, he would make a cast by me and look, but I mean, so he was still doing a good search, but he would definitely come by and make a cast and kind of check on me and then move out again. And you know, I had talked about a month after that, I called Camille, you know, Camille Rice breeder, of course, with Timberdoodle Limes. And I was talking to her about it. And she kind of goes, I was wondering what happened. She <laughs> goes, she goes, basically, 
he was protecting you. Yeah. He goes, he picked up on it. He knew something was wrong. Wasn't right. He was protecting you. She goes, that's why he wouldn't leave on the duck search. Cause he'd be out of sight. Yep. And that's why as soon as you disappeared over that bank, he came over to check on you. It's like, he was basically protecting you. She goes, believe it. Dogs. No. Yep. You know? And that's what popped up into my head. And that's kind of what, where my question, uh, stemmed from. Well, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully all the all the health issues and everything have subsided. Hopefully all that's that's good to go. Um, I'm looking at you. You haven't lost the eye. <laughs> I haven't lost the eye. So how that came about is I did ask for a second opinion because um, they were going to remove it. I I was actually up north in uh, kind of the Iron Range of Minnesota, grouse hunting, and I took a call. And it was the surgeon. He's like, you know, hey, can you talk? And I go, sure. And he goes, sounds like you're driving. I go, yeah, that's all right. I'll pull over. He goes, ah, I'm going to call you later. I'm like, no, we're, no, we're talk doing to me this now. now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So he gave me the news. He's like, we're going to have to take your eye. We went to the tumor board and they looked over your everything. We're going to have to take your eye. And so I had a consultation and then um, got a second opinion and they just said, good. We're glad you do. It's a good peace of mind. And they gave me also, they said, outstate, you know, academic facility. If you do in-state, do the Mayo. And I went down to the Mayo and they helped me. The U of, the university actually helped me kind of line everything up with the Mayo because they had technology that wasn't available at the U and it's called proton beam therapy. So it's pencil beam radiation. It's, it's tremendous. I mean, I, it's, it saved my eye. Heck yeah. So, proton yeah. beam. It's a pretty cool name too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> proton beam therapy. It's pencil beam. Basically it's a five millimeter beam. They use radiation, but somebody compared it. Like if you were to take like a broad beam flashlight and shine it on the wall, and then you take a laser and shine it on the wall. That's kind of how they say it's, huh. it's just, yeah. All right. Well, glad that that that's at least, you know, worked out a little bit and, and, uh, you got to keep the eye, obviously, you know, that that's going to do yep. wonders for your shooting right off the bat right there. Right. Uh, right. So let, as we start to kind of wrap this up, you know, I, I always ask the same questions from everybody. Uh, give me a relatable story of something that you screwed up. What, you know, whether it's a training uh, mishap, hunting mishap, something that you really screwed up. I know we've kind of gone through a, a couple examples of, you know, other outside elements uh, messing something right. up. But what's something that you as a handler, uh, you messed up and it's, you know, we all have these stories type of thing. Yeah, I would probably say where um, early on in Sage's training, I, I tried two different methods just to feel them out. Um, I, I tried the first method, which was very traditional, you know, and it was check cord, collar and so forth. And then on his, his second year of training, um, I tried um, what they, I guess, positive reinforcement training. And so... What I felt was like, I felt like, I hate to say I wasted some time there, but like those dogs were younger pups and he was already a year old and run his NAs, you know, and he was a 112 NA dog, but all of a sudden I'm running back with dogs that hadn't run NA because I think a lot of people try that with their pups. Um, and so I kind of developed my own level and where now I'm a little more where I can, if we're in a training group or say a lead trainer, it's kind of like, this is what I want to do. I, I don't want to use heavy collar. I don't want to use heavy wool or check cord. 
if if he's not behaving right on the bird, I want you to pop the bird. I'm paying for the birds, so I'll yeah. pop the birds. <laughs> you know, and I think that was one of them. And then uh, I would say probably one hunting one is where I did an excursion where Northwest Minnesota. Um, I was going to try sharp tail for the first time and I made the mistake of not saving my map on offline Uh-oh. and I drove up there in the rain. I got to the place I was supposed to be. I'm driving down this trail into the area and the road is quickly going away and I didn't have my icons because of the offline map that I didn't save. So it, it got into a sketchy situation. It turned out fine. You know, I mean, it was a camping trip, sleep in the back of a Jeep Grand Cherokee and all of that. <laughs> and it was fun, but, uh, and I've done a couple of those and actually I've had fun doing that. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Love it. So, um, the, the other question that I always ask everybody on these profile episodes is, uh, you've been a listener of the podcast for a little while now. Yep. Uh, it, has there been an episode topic or guest or anything like that that's kind of stood out in your mind and has kind of helped you at all? Yeah, I would say, um, of course, I'm partial to the Timberdula Wimes one with Camille. Of course. Um, partial to that one just because I think she does a great job with her dogs and also with picking people. Um she vetted me out just as much as I vetted her out when it yep. came time for the dog, Rightfully which so. tells you something when yeah. a breeder vets you out just as much as you're vetting them out that you're, you're on the right path. And of course, being, um, you, you've had some, uh, profiles and you've had Pete on in the past. And of course I love those. <laughs> and the other one would probably be, you did the, um, the pigeons. Like I think it was called all about pigeons or part one and part two. You had two parts on that. And there was a lot of learning in that. I thought uh, there was a lot of good learnings in that one, you know, and I, I've, there's numerous, I could name numerous, you know, you've had the ones on steadiness and on retrieving and fetch and so forth yeah. too. So, so did the pigeon, I'm assuming that you raise your own pigeons then if that, if that episode know, stuck yeah. out with you. Nice. Yeah. Yep. I, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole because that'll be another 30 minutes that, you know, it's like dog guys, like we can sit here and talk dogs for hours on end. Pigeon guys are the same exact way. Like once you nerd out on pigeons and you become a pigeon nerd, you can talk pigeons all night long. Uh, you can, cause there's experiences around that, whether something gets in your coop or you get wiped out by something yep. or the, uh, Raptor tax says, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> it's you're battling something all the time, all, all the time. It's always something Constant. with them, but they're, they're so neat. I mean, it, it's just one of those things to where it, getting into the dog world, it's, it's amazing what it opens you up to. I never would have imagined when I got my first dog that one of the highlights is having a big giant pigeon coop. It's just, it, it's just weird. It sounds nuts to people that don't get it, but the people that do get it, it's just, you know, it, it's just something else for us to nerd out on. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be honest with you. I enjoy sitting out on my back deck with a beer watching them do exactly. formation flight. Yeah. You know, they just go around and around and they're flying formation like F-16s. I mean. Exactly. It's <laughs> awesome. 
Well, Tom, I appreciate it, man. I had a lot of fun kind of getting to know you and, and your story a little bit better. And, and you know, you you got in the dogs years ago and you're still going. And, and I'm I'm glad your health uh, stuff is working out so far and hopefully it continues to do so. And, and you get to have the hunting season that you're really hoping to have last year. I hope that you get back out there and, uh, you know, uh, knocked last year's hunting season off the books for you. Yeah, well... I keep Sage lean. He's a big boy and I keep him lean. I go year round. I do kick bike in the summer, you know, where he mushes me around. I got to, you know, I mush him in the winter. So year round, I have to keep him lean and mean, I guess. Perfect. So keep him going. Well, let me know. Check in with me from time to time. Let me know how the season's going. And again, I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, we'll, uh, we'll check back next month with another profile. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.